What a morning it's been already, amen? Hey, thank you everybody who's served and led us in worship this morning, and thank you for being here. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. All of this, all of this decoration and choir and practice and rehearsal, all of it centers around a baby, a baby. You know, the Bible's actually filled with some wild and unexpected and miraculous birth stories. Just think of a few. Isaac, and um, the son of God's promise, was born 25 years after God promised him to Abraham and Sarah when they were 99 years old. There's a miracle story. Hannah was barren and unable to have children, but God allowed her to have a baby that came one of the greatest prophets, Samuel. And then Elizabeth. Uh, here in the New Testament, in the Christmas story, Elizabeth uh, was also at a very old age when God allowed her to give birth to John, the baptizer. On and on and on, we see these amazing birth stories, and maybe some of you have known some amazing birth stories. Uh, we have a lot of babies being born in this church right now. There's been a few this year and a few more on the way, and we rejoice for that. But none of these stories, none of these stories compare to what we see in today's text. The story of the virgin birth of Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus' birth, in Christmas, we have the arrival of the most extraordinary miracle in the Bible and the most remarkable mystery in the universe. That's what we have at Christmas time when God became one of us to save us from our sins, to be our Lord and Savior. Wow, Merry Christmas, Community Grace. Let me hear it back. Merry, Merry Christmas. And welcome, guests. Uh, you have arrived this morning on the day that we're going to be focusing on Jesus, the arrived King. If you uh, have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, where Steve read. And um, if you need a bulletin and, and want sermon notes, raise your hand. Chris is here to give you one. And you'll see this title, Jesus arrived king. He has arrived. Let's look at this text together, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Uh, so we have Advent candles burning, just in case you're, you're not aware what those are. Last week was the prophecy candle. He was the promised Messiah. The word Advent, this is Advent season, means he's coming, he's coming, who's coming? The promised Messiah. Well, as it gets closer to Christmas, the second candle this week is the Bethlehem candle. Things get real now. God comes. Bethlehem is the, is the center of, of these historical events. His coming is what we're focusing on all month, right up to Christmas and celebrating. Today we're going to see Matthew makes a sharp transition from the genealogy of Jesus that we looked at last week and saw that he was indeed the promised and prophesied king that came. Now, Matthew takes a sharp turn starting in verse 18 and dives into the story, the, the historical accounts of how he came, what was going on, and that's what we have the joy to look at today. And as we do, we're going to see that Jesus is the arrived king. We're going to see three aspects of that. First, that he arrived in planet Earth as a human, first, under suspicion, second, as promised, and then third, he was accepted. So let's look at the word together, starting Matthew 1, verse 18. And we see point one, that King Jesus arrives under suspicion. Under suspicion. This is verses 18 through 21. 
Let's look at the, those first two verses, 18 and 19, the opening verses of the story of our Savior's birth presented from Matthew, verses 18 and 19. Here we go. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Observe a few things about how Jesus was born. Joseph and Mary were betrothed. This is kind of like our, our concept of being engaged before marriage, but it's a lot different back then. Betrothed was a formal agreement, a contract, a covenant. Uh, it was much more binding than engagement is today. Once a couple was happily betrothed, uh, they were legally bound, and so to call that off would be the equivalent of a divorce. Uh, they would not have consummated the marriage physically yet until after the wedding, which we see in, in the text, before they came together. Here is a picture of a Hebrew wedding contract, uh, the betrothal contract, uh, before the wedding, actually, it's legally binding. It's very serious and final. And so when Matthew said that Mary was pregnant before they came together, you know what he's saying? The people instantly knew, uh-oh, this is scandalous. Put yourself in this young couple's shoes or sandals, maybe. Here's Mary. <laughs> Mary's told by an angel that she has found favor with God, and though she's never had a physical relationship with a man, bing, she's pregnant. Just imagine the flood of emotions and thoughts. Can you imagine that? Can you put yourself in that position? Men, consider Joseph. As a husband, you've yet to bring your wife into your household and consummate the marriage, and you find out she's pregnant. There's only one possibility in your mind. She's been with another man. What do you do? Well, verse 19 puts us right inside the mind of Joseph. He had a couple of, of options. He could either go public and out of anger, shame Mary. Or he could quietly divorce her to keep the, he, from the shame. But marrying her was not an option. What would he do? Just imagine the, the torment in his mind. Nothing seemed to add up. He, he knows Mary's family and Mary, and, and this kind of behavior or deception just isn't like them at all. How can this be happening? And so in righteous compassion, he resolved to divorce her quietly. This is a picture of an ancient divorce document. You can picture him sadly, sadly, with great loss, going to the lawyer to, to draw one of these up. But the story takes a major turn. Look at verses 20 and 21. But as he considered it, while he was considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Notice what he calls him there, son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
As Joseph is considering all these things, what he could not figure out on his own, God makes clear to him through an angel. And Matthew, as he writes, highlights the angel calling Joseph the son of David. That's the son of King David in the line, the lineage of David. And so as the Jewish people are reading the book of Matthew, they would have been particularly interested in Joseph's response to this. So there is scandal, there is suspicion, but God has given clarity here, and we see that Joseph responds in obedience, and he says, the angel said, do not fear. There would be a great amount of fear of the shame and the ridicule and the scandal. He says, do not fear, and Joseph has the willingness to face his fears and do the right thing. Now, we'll come back to Joseph in a moment, Uh, but at this dramatic point in the reading in Matthew, Matthew pushes the pause button on the story here after verse 21. He pushes the pause button on the story and makes a narrator comment for the benefit of his Jewish audience. Certainly, he knows that at this point, they're thinking as they just read what he wrote, give me a break, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. Who's ever heard of such a thing? But Matthew now pushes that pause button and makes his narrator comment to remind them that the virgin conception of the Messiah was in fact prophesied all along by the prophet Isaiah. He reminds them in verses 22 and 23 this very thing. We see point number two, King Jesus arrives as promised. As promised. Now Matthew's now going to apply one of over 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah that Jesus fulfilled literally right here. Let me repeat that. Over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled literally, literally exactly how they were prophesied in his first coming. This one is from Isaiah 7, 14, and Matthew flat out interprets that. Verses 22 and 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. 700-year-old prophecy being fulfilled right now. Remember that? They did. So at Christmas time, we sing songs like, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, we sang last week. And this week, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And we sing on Christmas because he did arrive. He did come. He arrived. He's the arrived king, as promised. So now we ask the significance of this son, Emmanuel, God with us, who has arrived, who to this day in in Jerusalem, here's a a sign on a bookstore that says, Emmanuel, Messiah, he has come. We need to ask, and if you have your sermon notes with you, you see a, a good chunk of space here devoted to this question, who is this arrived king? Who is this long awaited promised King Jesus? You know, last week we looked at his genealogy, and we we learned a ton of stuff as we unpacked that. This week, let's study his theology. Theology means the study of God. Particularly, Christology is the study of Christ. And this is the perfect time to study this, because what we're reading about in this story is the virgin birth. The virgin birth forms the foundation of everything that we believe, everything who we've identified with, everything we know about who Jesus is, about why we worship him, about why we serve him, about why we give to him, 
why we sacrifice for him, why we gather in his name, why we proclaim him to the nations, why we have our identity in him, why we have our victory in him. The virgin birth lays the foundation for all of it. The prophesied and fulfilled virgin birth teaches us first, if you're filling out your notes, you see first it teaches us that Jesus is fully human. Jesus is fully human. Fully. And that includes physically, mentally, and emotionally. Jesus is fully human. Physically, he was born of a woman, fully human, and so a spitting, peeing, cooing, crying baby he was. It may have been a holy night, but it wasn't a silent night. <laughs> How could you possibly put a baby down when the cows won't stop mooing and the donkeys won't be quiet? In very uncomfortable situation. As a human, all the gospels say he got hungry, he got tired, he grew up. That's right, the creator of the universe set aside his godly attributes to be a full human, to take on the physical limitations of needing food and sleep and growth. So, friends, brothers, sisters, do not separate Jesus' humanity from his divinity, from his godliness. He was fully human mentally. He grew in wisdom, the Gospel of Luke says. He learned with the other kids. Sometimes we think Jesus knew everything in his human form, that he must have known what the word propitiation meant on his first day as a baby. And that's not true. He was fully human. He was fully human emotionally. And Matthew records Jesus with the full range of emotions. Jesus' soul was troubled and overwhelmed. He wept. He rallied people into excitement. He laughed and smiled. I love Hebrews 1.9. Hebrews 1.9 says that Jesus was the happiest among all his companions. Jesus was fully human emo emotionally. Why is all this important? Why is it important to know and believe that Jesus was fully human? A few reasons. One, it means because it means that he is fully able to identify with us. He's our Lord, our Savior, our friend, our guide, our help in time of need. Be comforted by these words from Hebrews. What a comforting passage. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 is. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Oh, Jesus is a good God. And followers of Jesus, you have a, you have a savior, a king, who is familiar with all of your struggles, physically, mentally, emotionally. He's been there. He's familiar with all your sufferings and your needs. He's familiar. He's fully human. And finally, only because he was fully human could be, he be an acceptable sacrifice for humans. The sheep and the oxen, their sacrifices never lasted. They weren't sufficient to cover the sins of humans. That, my, best fr my friends, is the best news of all time, is that he paid our debts on the cross. This is important why he is fully human. But if he was just human, 
and not God, his sacrifice could not pay the sin debt for all humans. And so who else is this long-awaited and arrived King Jesus? This prophesied and fulfilled virgin birth teaches us also that Jesus was fully God or is fully God. Jesus is fully God. As we say Jesus is fully human, in the very same breath, we must say and proclaim also that he is fully God. We cannot divide those two. As the Son of God, the eternal second person of the Trinity, Jesus, is fully God. Here's what the Bible talks, says about him. He possesses the full range of divine attributes. Throughout Matthew's gospel, Jesus demonstrates he has power over diseases and even death itself. He heals, he raises from the dead, he even rose himself from the dead. He commands nature, he's got complete power over nature. He calms storms and walks on water and multiplies bread and fish to feed thousands. Further, he fully identifies with God the Father. He says, God the Father and I are one. And most importantly for us, he possesses authority over sin. He has the ability to forgive sin. Where does the virgin birth come in all of that and that we're studying today, this text that we're looking at today? One way is that because the sin nature is passed on to humanity to the next generation through the, the man's seed. And so if he was Joseph's natural, natural son, he would have inherited the sin nature, which would have been impossible for God. So that's why this miracle had to happen, the virgin birth. And Joseph was his adopted dad. Now, someone last week when we were talking about the genealogy came up to me after the service and astutely asked this question. If Joseph was an adopted dad of Jesus, then how does that qualify him to be in the line of David? His blood isn't in the line of David. I said, that's a very good question. I'm going to talk about that next week. Because <laughs> I knew we were coming to this text. But I did go ahead and answer him last week, and we had a good discussion. Here's two answers. First is that Joseph is the adoptive father of Jesus, and that really makes the story of Christmas a story of adoption. If you were adopted, then you know this truth, or if you have adopted children, you know this truth more than anyone, that there is more than one way into a family. There's two ways into a family right here, either by natural birth or by adoption. Two different ways into a family, fullness of sons and daughters. You are a full son and daughter, and we are the same way children of God through accepting Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us over and over, we have been made sons and daughters of God, and we are given the full rights of the sons of God when we take on Jesus' righteousness as our own. Adoption is very theologically deep and rich as we've been adopted. So that alone, and, and then there's some other adoptive situations in the line of, of, in the genealogy of Christ that we looked at last, last week even. But even in addition to that, the second reason is because when Luke gives Mary's genealogy, she's also a descendant of a King David, the line of King David, and so Jesus is covered that way anyway through blood as well. When you put the truths of the virgin birth all together, and you put together with Jesus' deity, that's what it's called, when, that Jesus is fully human and fully God, 
Jesus' deity. When you put all this together that we've talked about so far, everything else in the Bible makes sense. It's not strange to see Jesus walking on water since he created the water. It's not strange to see Jesus breaking a boy's lunch and to feed thousands of people when he created their stomachs. And it's not strange, it's no longer a mystery that he paid the cost of all human sin if he is both fully human and fully God. Some of us are visual learners here, and so I want to show these, this graph here, and I don't know if you can see it or read it, but over the generations, over 2,000 years, if you study the history of Christian theology, you see that there's a lot of heresies along the way, and a lot of those heresies are heresies because they break apart the fullness of Jesus' humanity and the fullness of Jesus' divinity, of him being God. On the right, you see all kinds of isms, Arianism, Docetism, modalism isn't up there, but that's another one that's actually alive and well today. And, you know, never does the Bible anywhere separate these two natures of Jesus. Never. These are all distortions. In fact, cults like Jehovah's Witness and, and Mormonism and Islam, this is the major stumbling block to them. They, they'd rip apart Jesus' fullness of humanity and his fullness of divinity as God. But the Bible never does that. The Bible never separates Jesus' natures. And without Jesus being both fully God and fully human, there is no gospel. The virgin birth and the deity of Christ are central facts of Christianity. These are two of the essentials of the Christian faith that you must believe and receive to be a true Christian. So I've listed these essentials on your notes. This is an opportunity to see if, if you really are in the faith, believing in the right Jesus. There's a lot of false teaching out there. Do you believe the Jesus of the Bible, he's the one that saves, not the Jesus of your own mind, or of a false teaching? And so these are the essentials, and the virgin birth is critical, the Trinity and the deity of Christ, that he is God, the resurrection of Christ, that he did rise from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15 says, if, you don't, if Christians don't have that, then we are above all most to be pitied. But indeed, he did rise from the dead. And the gospel is that he did all those things to pay for our sin and give us eternal life. Those who, we, who, trust, who put our trust and faith in him. Salvation is by grace, grace through faith in Jesus alone. All these truths are clearly taught in the New Testament. And if any single one of them is rejected, then the entire gospel is rejected and it's all powerless. And without them all, Jesus, who claimed all of it, is either a liar or a lunatic and not Lord. But we believe and proclaim that he is Lord and all of these things are true. Matthew writes to prove, just in the opening 20-some verses that we've seen so far, Matthew is writing for the purpose of proving that Jesus is all of these things. He is the promised and arrived Messiah, Son of God, who took on flesh at Christmas to do all these things and, and to, to be all that he is for us. Wow, that's Christology. King Jesus arrives under suspicion. King Jesus arrives as promised. And now third as the story moves on, 
King Jesus arrives with acceptance. After Matthew's pause in the story, he picks up the story again in verse 24 and 25. When Joseph awakens from his sleep, after Matthew's pause, he picks up verse 24 and 25. Let's look at those verses. When Joseph awoke woke from his sleep, what did he do? He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth, that's physically, until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph got up and he knew exactly what he had to do. He's not going to reject God, and he's not going to reject Mary. He would not be ruled by fear of all the rumors and the talk and the criticisms. He would not be ruled by fear. He submitted to God. He took Mary. He faced all those rumors, and he set out to be a faithful husband and father to Jesus. Joseph, at great cost, did the right thing, and we must also do the right thing always when God is telling us to do something. In his word, we do it. You see, every part of the Christmas story, I said this last week, and and every time we talk about Christmas, we'll see that every little part of it is completely relatable to us. We can put ourselves in this story. The the facts of of, of his entrance into the world are such so that we can do that, so we can relate. In fact, I'm going to play a three and a half minute video right now that that's going to really allow us of the 21st technological century to really relate to Joseph and Mary around the virgin birth, the text that we're studying today. It's a fun video, but it's also a real honest look at the story. So watch this. This is called a social media Christmas. Let's enjoy that.
Wasn't that good? It was so good, so real, and so relatable. And that is exactly God's point in the Christmas story. This is our story. As God has us considering Joseph's and Mary's story and and your place in the story, I want to ask a question before we close today with a couple next, next steps. Here's a question for you to think right now. That is, are you experiencing any criticism and judgment because you have accepted the role to do what's right? Just like Joseph. Joseph did and Mary did too. And Jesus did too. And Jesus faced all the persecution and slander and suffering in the world. And he promised that it would happen to us because in believing in him and following him in truth and all things, all the time, you inherit an enemy. You inherit enemies. Maybe you've chosen the right thing at at school or at work and your peers don't like it. And so they'll make your life miserable. Maybe you've stopped partying and all the people you used to party with or do whatever it is with um, don't like that. You know what? When it's a matter of following Jesus, keep at it. Keep following Jesus. Keep at the truth. Just like Joseph and Mary, I just don't want to miss the point of their obedience to God and how he used it and what they faced and suffered as a result of it. Jesus says if we share him, proclaim him, and share in his sufferings, he shares his glory with us. That makes it well worth it. So I appreciate Joseph's role model, but this in, in its true essence is a story about Jesus, our Lord and Savior, fully God and fully human. He came for us by his grace. And so a couple next steps. One is to receive King Jesus' salvation today. If you haven't, I don't care if you grew up in the church, if you haven't made him your Savior, he, did, he came for you. And now's the day you can put his, your faith in him. Verse 21, Jesus came to save his people from their sins. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save the people from, from their sins. Has he saved you? Have you trusted him and put your faith in him? You can today. And if so, if you have been saved by Jesus, then let's turn our attention to all the world around us who hasn't yet. This is our role and our mission is to proclaim And pray for, this is number two, pray for others' salvation. And we're going to do that today. Now's the time. This is where it all starts. It all starts with our prayers, and it's the most powerful thing we can do, and it's the most important thing we can do. There are others, but this is the most important and the most powerful. Pray for the people who God has put in your life. He saved you for a reason. Begin today by praying for them. On your chairs, please pick up the big and small invest and invite card. Maybe you did this two weeks ago. We're trying to get as big of a stack of the names of people in your life, and we're going to pray for them after the lunch today during the concert of prayer right back in this room. So please fill these out right now. Take them out and a pen and follow the instructions. These are the people God has placed in my life who need to know and follow Christ. If if we're not proclaiming Christ, why did he save us? So let's do this, and let's pray for the people we... We filled out our card, and oh, we have a heart that they all come to Christ, come to, come to eternal life, come to freedom. 
come to fullness of joy. So it says, I will pray for them and invite them to attend a Christmas service with me. Now's the chance. It begins with prayer. So as you're filling those out, uh, put them in, the, in one of the boxes on the walls and we'll collect those and stack them up and pray for them this very day. The small card, write the names on that as well. Those, that's for your reminder to take with you uh, over the next couple weeks. Pray that their eyes are open to the arrived Savior, maybe even this Christmas season. Let me pray, pray right now and, and close, our, uh, close this, this part of our service. Lord, our hearts are filled with joy, and we have just about had every kind of sensory uh, experience today. We thank you that you're the, you're the author of all senses and all emotions and all wisdom and our minds and our intelligence that processes this and our hearts that receive and believe it. I pray you'll remove blinders from eyes and hardness from hearts today. And let us proclaim and let us be free and let us rejoice and be like Jesus, the happiest among all his companions. We thank you that you've given us the opportunity and ability to do all those things. We worship you, King Jesus. Amen.